It's time now for the PDXO WASP podcast, brought to you by the Open Web Application Security Project. The views of the guests do not necessarily represent the views of OWASP, their sponsors, and other stakeholders. Enjoy the show. Our special guests today are Simon Bennett and Rick Mitchell. Simon co-leads the OWASP Attack Proxy Project, or better known as ZAP, which he started in 2009 and is a distinguished engineer at Stackhawk a software-as-a-service company that uses Zap to help users fix application security bugs before they hit production. He has talked about and demonstrated Zap at conferences all over the world, including Black Hat, Java One, Fostum, and our very own OASIS AppSec EU, USA, and Asia Pack. Prior to making the move into security, he was a developer for 25 years and strongly believes that you cannot build secure web applications without knowing how to attack them first. Rick is an IT security professional from Canada, with over 20 years of experience in the IT industry focused on security for the majority of that time. He really believes in OWASP's mission and the importance of application security in the industry. He's co-led on a number of community projects including ZAP, the Web Security Testing Guide, and the Vulnerable Web Apps Directory. He's a strong believer in learning by doing and that all community efforts are valuable and make us strong. Simon and Rick, thank you for virtually stopping by today and spending time with us. It's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, good to be here. How did each of you get into security? I was a Java developer. I led a small Java team, and it was developing web applications online, um, so services that were considered quite security critical. And we found out that uh, I had a pen test performed on one of my services, and there were vulnerabilities I've never heard of. So I decided I'd better learn a bit more about security. I was in an internal IT position for a consulting firm. And in the late 90s, early 2000s, they started ramping up IT security consulting. So I had an opportunity to switch from my internal work into doing that. And it was kind of right as AppSec was ramping up and stuff. So it worked out really well for me. So what is the Zed attack proxy? How did it all start? And what does Zed mean? Uh, so Zap is a tool for finding vulnerabilities in web applications. And I started it really as a way of learning about vulnerabilities myself. So as part of this process of learning about um, security, I wanted to play around with some tools. And I found various tools that, you know, some worked, some didn't. Uh, but there was a little tool called Paros that I found quite useful and it was it kind of did what I, I needed, and I found it was quite useful, and it helped me learn about security. And then I, I was kind of looking around for a an, an open source tool to or community con- to contribute to, and I was so I, was, I kind of wanted to find a project that was well maintained and had a community behind it, but I couldn't find a, a suitable one really. And I was starting to teach people at the company where I worked about vulnerabilities. And they immediately, you know, the first thing they asked was, what tools should we use? So I had a look around, couldn't find anything, and, and then decided the most suitable tool was Paros, or rather the version of Paros I was hacking around with. So I thought, okay, I'll bite the bullet. And I released it, I forked it, uh, called it Zap, and tried to get people involved, really. And it went from there. So the name was a, uh, an interesting one. I, fi- I kind of find it difficult to come up with good names for things, but... Whenever, when as a developer, I, I always write lots of scripts. And if I know I'm going to reuse the script, then 
I will call it something sensible, something else, so when I come back to it, I can recognize what it is. But if I'm writing a script that's a one-off, then I inevitably called it just something like Zap or Pow. And I was kind of thinking of the cartoon type things, you know, Zap, Pow, just make it happen. So those two mm -hmm. names kept on coming back to me when I was thinking of what to call this new security tool. And I kind of liked the idea of Zap. You could Zap a website. So that, that kind of worked. And I wanted it to actually be in capitals. I kind of, luckily, I, I kind of resisted the temptation to put an exclamation mark after it as well. But I wanted it to be in capitals. And the easiest way for it to be in capitals was for it to be an acronym. So actually, Zap is a backronym. So I had to make it stand for something. And the P for proxy was quite easy. And it didn't take me too long to think of A, attack for A. But I couldn't think of anything for the Z. So I thought, it doesn't have to stand for anything. But I'm sorry. I couldn't cope with you Americans calling it the Z attack proxy. So Z <laughs> is the British Z. Um, so it is the Z attack proxy rather than the Z attack proxy. So that's how the name came about. That's just awesome. It's a great lesson in ethnology. I think you should you should submit that to the academic community. I think it's great. <laughs> <laughs> so this tool offers lots of features, including multiple modes and scan types. Can you describe some of these in more detail, especially for someone new to the tool? Sure. So as far as modes go, you know, we have options for Zap to kind of protect users from themselves and not attack things that they shouldn't. So in safe mode, you can't really do anything damaging or heavy traffic against anything. In protected mode, you can only work against things that you've defined as specifically in scope. And in standard mode, I guess, of course, you can do anything against anything. And then in attack mode, anything that you proxy, which is also in scope, will immediately be spidered and subsequently attacked. So, you know, obviously, attack mode needs to be used with caution. And we kind of enforce that by requiring the user to set up the scope. Um, and then as far as types of scanning, obviously, Passive scanning is everything that's coming through the proxy or initiated by the spider. And then active scanning is actually Zap sending the traffic with manipulated payloads to see if they can, if it can get a response that indicates uh, vulnerability or weakness. I think Zap's used in different ways by different people. So it can be used manually, and we've got the Zap desktop UI for that. We've also got heads-up display, which basically brings security information into the browser. But then another significant way people using Zap is automated scanning. And we're finding that's happening a lot, particularly early on, so in the development lifecycle, because you can do this very, you don't have to have as much security knowledge. So we've got a whole load of package scans, and we've actually got GitHub actions as well. So we've got the baseline scan, which is a very quick scan and fits well into um, CICD, and the full scan, which you know can take a few hours depending on the application. But those are, I think, the first dynamic application security testing scans available on the GitHub market, Action Marketplace. So we're pretty pleased with those. You did mention something about the heads-up display or HUD, and I think that's a big differentiator. Can you describe the thinking behind the design? Sure. This is very much a kind of reimagining of the security tool interface. And the whole idea was we wanted to bring security information and functionality into the browser. And, you know, partly it was for people who are new to application security. So we wanted it possible for developers and functional testers to just use a browser to explore their application and then for the HUD to actually show them uh, particular problems that, you know, it, it finds, as that finds. 
But then also I've got this concern that sometimes pen testers focus too much on their security tool. And that might sound strange coming from someone who writes a security tool, but I think some of the most fun vulnerabilities are ones where you're attacking the application logic. So you have to actually understand how the application works. You have to get under, get under the skin of the application. And while your tool can help with that, you need to spend as much time in the application as possible. So the idea is you use the browser, you explore the application, you play around with it, and then the HUD will give you this extra information. And then you can do the deep dive with uh, whichever security tool you want. Zap automation is great, but good old-fashioned manual testing often gives greater rewards in the end. What advice do you have for those new to pen testing to strike a balance between the two approaches when using Zap? So I, I think really that the automation side is probably more useful in for developers, so in developers and functional testers. I think if you're a pen tester, then manual pen testing is, you know, is something you want to focus on. The one thing automation can provide is breadth of coverage. So if you've got a particularly large application, then it, it gives you, you know, it can test things a lot more quickly than you can. So it's a good way to, you know, automation is a good way to get started with an application, just give, it, give you a feel of it. And if, you know, you're, if a scanner like Zap finds a load of vulnerabilities straight off, then it makes your life easier. You know, you found all these things. And if there are vulnerabilities in one particular section, there's a good chance there's more vulnerabilities there. So you can, you know, it's a good way to focus on particular things. But, you know, manual pen testing will always beat automation uh, until we solve this kind of uh, artificial in- intelligence problem. So the only problem with, manu- with manual testing is you need the experience and you need somebody there doing it, whereas automation can be done, you know, on pull requests, it can be done in the background, it can be done overnight or weekends and things like that. So whereas with, you know, from an organizational point of view, the manual pen testing is relatively expensive and can only, you know, so only has, can only be done at certain particular times. With automation, you can test any point in the life cycle. So you can test really early on and you can catch those, uh, some of the silly vulnerabilities, the easier vulnerabilities to find before you get your pen testers in. Then the pen testers can focus on the manual side and they can use some automation as well to you know, get the coverage. But most of the time, I'd expect them to be using manual to pen testing. Yeah, that's great advice, particularly for strategy for people coming into this. There is also a marketplace for extensions. What is the process for someone who might want to contribute an extension of their own? So this is actually pretty simple. If you create an extension or an add-on for Zap, you just come to the main Zap repo on GitHub and go to start a new issue. And there's actually an issue template called third-party add-on. So you just fill out some details where the current built version of the add-on is, your Twitter handle if you want us to make an announcement and a couple other things like that. And then we take care of publishing it for you. And it's open to our full user base. Well, here's the big question of the day. My favorite question here. We all know about the great proxy war, SAP mm-hmm. versus Burp Suite. There's a learning curve, right? So if somebody's new and they say, oh, great, I, I'm going to pick a tool first, but obviously they're going to spend a lot of upfront time and, and learn these tools. What would you tell them? What differentiates Zap from Burp Suite, except for, ex- except for perhaps the free price, unless you want to consider Burp Suite Community Edition? What, what would you tell them why they should use Zap? Hmm. I mean, to be honest, I think, you know, free counts. But for me, the really important thing is the open source side. So you can actually see exactly how Zap works and you can get under the skin and you can contribute to it. 
I know you can contribute to add-ons for Burp, but you can't contribute to the Burp core. You can't see how that works. So I think it's, you know, that is a significant differentiator. And, you know, if you're a developer or a functional tester QA, then to be honest, Zap is probably the only security tool you need. Whereas if you are going to be a pen tester, you should know how to get the best out of all tools. So then I think you should, you should try Zap. You should also try Burp. You know, and that's probably the one that more, more pen testers will spend more time with. But that, a lot of that's historic as well. But you know, if you're a pen tester, use both. Get the best out of both. Yeah. The one thing I would add is that Zap is probably more flexible or extendable with our scripting interface. There's a lot of things you can do quickly right within Zap to write skip scripts and enhance functionality without having to do a full-blown add-on or extension. And then obviously the other thing, as Simon was saying, is a good pen tester should use multiple tools. And both Zap and Burp can be chained together in whichever order you choose. And then you're only increasing your, your coverage and your possibilities. I think the scripting thing is key as well. And, and you know, because you can write scripts within Zap. And the fun thing is because Zap is open source, we've got nothing to hide. So you've got full access to all of the code, all of the functionality, all of the data, all of the methods. So you, it's essentially you are right, you know, you, you have full control of Zap. You can do whatever you like within these scripts. So they are incredibly powerful. And it's definitely a friend of DevOps people too, right? Fully automatable. That's that's the key. Yeah. I mean, we've got an API that's probably, probably is, you know, one of the most powerful in the industry. And that includes all the commercial tools as well. So that's been one of our focuses. So you can, you know, Zap is great for automation. What are your long-term goals for Zap? Where would you like to see it go in the future? I think we, we want to, you know, we want Zap to be the best tool it can be. So we want to keep on improving it. My focus, you know, I th- automation is definitely important to me. So I'm going to carry on with that. I think we haven't focused as much on some of the scan rules as we could have done recently. So that's one of the things we're automating Zap against a whole load of well-known vulnerable apps. And so we can improve these app scan rules. We want to reduce false positives and want to reduce false negatives as well. So we just want Zap to get better. And we want to we want more contributors. And you know, what those contributors contribute to is up to them really. We're happy for people to come on board and work on whatever they want really. Is there an area of expertise that you need the most today as far as a contributor would go? Everywhere really. <laughs> we we kinda of want it would be good to have people who spend who spend more time because it takes a little while to get used to Zap and the code base. So having people stick around is, you know, we, we try and spend quite a bit of time helping people get started developing Zap. But having people stick around for longer would be uh, would be ideal. You briefly mentioned in the beginning in an area that's dear to my heart is about AI and machine learning. So if you have this perfect pen testing tool in the, in the future, this is a little off, off mm-hmm. a bit of a tangent here, but would it be possible, do you think, in the future to have such a tool, something like SAP, but would be able to leverage things like machine learning for AI? That one's a little bit difficult because pen testers and private corporations are notoriously... Um, uh, I don't know. They, they hold things close to their chest as far as sharing data. And the only way to get some kind of AI or ML usefulness for a tool like Zap is to have large sets of data that we can build models on and things like that. So 
uh, unless people are willing to kind of share a little bit more, that's mm-hmm. going to forever be a challenge and not just for an open source project, but for anyone really. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. You have to have the corpus of data and the data has to be established. But I keep going back. Something what Simon was telling us was also an application is built by people, right? And there's <laughs> this logic or ill logic that's behind the application. And sometimes that that's like a new dimension to add to some kind of tool. And uh, who knows, maybe in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we see so many weird things that people do with developer uh, in development <laughs> and, you know, some amazing things as well, you know, so, you know, people are incredibly imaginative and in how they can take technology, but that makes it very difficult when you're trying to do any sort of automation around it. So, you know, I think the machine learning thing could happen, but it would have to be a company that has a lot of access to all this data, as Rick was saying. Do you guys have any upcoming events to promote? Any virtual conferences, workshops? What's happening here in the next couple of months? So nothing. I mean, I'm getting quite a few impromptu things. But one thing we have been doing is, or I've been doing, is working on a set of videos called Zap in 10. And they're being done in conjunction with the All Day DevOps group. So those are ongoing. We've got a, They're linked off our website, zedeproxy.org. So if you want to learn more about Zap and you like watching videos on things, then definitely check those out. I can't think of anything major. The Zap Proxy websites had a major overhaul in the last year. And we also took part in Google's season of docs. So we have a great contribution of some awesome API documentation now that goes right along with the automation and stuff for Zap, which will continue to build going forward. But that's always a good source of information and learning that people can leverage. And for users, we'll put up the links that were talked about today so people can get a hold of you. Thank you so much for talking with us, Simon and Rick, twice. (laughs) Stay safe and healthy out there, please. Great stuff. Thanks again, guys, for developing this tool. It's an amazing tool, and I really enjoy it. It's kind of neat to talk to you guys, the guys that made it all happen. You too. Thank you very much for inviting us. Thanks for having us. To hear this podcast again, visit anywhere a podcast is played. For more information, go to owasp.org forward slash www forward slash chapter forward slash Portland.